you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Phil. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. We have a lot to get to today, so let's jump right into it with today's Out of the Gate theme about the California GOP meeting its reckoning day this weekend. Now, if you're unaware, this weekend in California, the California GOP has met for its biannual spring convention. And what usually happens at these conventions is a bunch of well-to-do Republicans arrive and spend most of their weekend meeting with other well-to-do Republicans and discuss how they can improve the party. There'll be interns running around doing work for all these well-to-do Republicans, getting them coffee, arranging meetings, clearing the path for them, laying down in muddy puddles for them to walk over. Just kidding on the last one. Maybe. Now, these Republicans will funnel into one room or the other to listen to other prominent California Republicans go on and on about what's wrong with California. They will nod in agreement with what is said in these rooms, and then after the speaking events are over, they will funnel out again into a giant conference room whereby they sit down for dinner, where the cost is probably a couple hundred bucks, even more, and they get to listen to even more prominent California Republicans. Now, after this grand soiree is over, there are different rooms hosting different gatherings with copious amounts of alcohol, and then the real deal-making begins. Business cards are exchanged, favors traded, attention sought after, all above the noise of drunken interns enjoying themselves just a bit too much. Now, did I paint a pretty picture of what goes on at the California GOP convention? No? Now, as someone who's attended a couple of these, I won't lie, they can be a lot of fun. But if your goal is to have a Republican mixer whereby everyone sits around drinking and espouses how much better California would be with conservative leaders, then go start a meetup group. If you want something to get done, the California GOP convention is the least likely place that will happen. If you want a glimpse into the decadence of the Republican elites in California, then by golly, get yourself a ticket and spend the weekend being a fly on the wall. That is, of course, if you can afford the ticket prices. Now, this weekend's convention will be different, though. There will be a new chairman elected. And as we found out today, there was a new chairwoman elected today in Jessica Patterson, and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, Jim Brulte, the outgoing chairman, he did a good enough job to not let the party completely collapse. His best achievement, according to his critics, was he, quote, got the party out of debt, unquote. In terms of expanding the voter base or rebuilding grassroots efforts across the state to get more Republicans into local offices, he was a complete bust. We lost a record amount of seats in Congress and are now saddled with a far-left governor and a supermajority of radical leftists in the legislature. We have become a one-party state under Jim Brulte. Now, this weekend, there were three people who went into this. We had Travis Allen, the former gubernatorial candidate, Jessica Patterson, who was the ultimate winner, Steve Frank, who was a longtime activist and California GOP member. Travis Allen, as most people know, is probably the most charismatic assemblyman who has ran an intense grassroots campaign against John Cox for the governorship. At the last minute, the most MAGA candidate was snubbed by President Trump in favor of John Cox. Nobody's really sure why. I'm not sure there was any 4D chess going on here. And John Cox obviously went on to lose resoundingly to Gavin Newsom. Now, Jessica Patterson is a center-right Republican who is backed by Charles Munger Jr. Uh, It makes sense why Patterson doesn't support repealing Prop 14 when Munger was someone who originally funded and supported it. Now, if you're not familiar with Prop 14, it's better known as the primary jungle system which is basically whoever's the top two vote-getters get to be on top of the ticket, which is why we always see Democrat versus Democrat. She is well-connected as someone who rose from a lowly intern, remember those people laying down in muddy puddles for someone to step on to a higher rank in the California GOP. Basically, she's been in the establishment most of her career. Steve Frank, who's been generally hailed as a smart member of the California GOP, he lacked the charisma of someone of like a Travis Allen to take over the lead. 
But in a last-minute move that probably shocked the California GOP establishment to the core, Travis Allen and Steve Frank attempted to stop Jessica Patterson from becoming the chairwoman, and they sent out a letter that basically said that they would combine their delegates to defeat Jessica Patterson at all costs. Now, I just want to read a couple points from this letter because it's we're going to dovetail into it, and I want to talk about it. So in the letter, Travis Allen and Steve Frank talk about how they are now going to call themselves the resistance. This was at this past weekend. And it starts off, or jumping in, it says, We are unequivocally committed to each other and the conservative cause. Every team, Steve and Frank delegate, is a team Travis Allen delegate and vice versa. Jessica Patterson is a career staffer bought and paid for by the special interests that protect themselves, not the GOP or our candidates. She personally took the Republican Party via California Trailblazers for the amount of money that we are exactly in debt, putting over $1.25 million in her pocket with only $142,000 of $2.4 million collected actually going to candidate support. Meanwhile, the party has been absorbing massive historic losses while claiming Patterson is, quote, helping the candidates. Aside from a couple days of, quote, training, almost no candidate received real assistance. Now, the definition of insanity is continually repeating the same behavior and expecting a different result. If we join together, the conservatives win and the party wins, and Jessica Patterson and those that do not wish our party well are defeated. And that's just a snippet. Now, this letter is nothing short of an opening shot from the grassroots Republicans in California to the establishment. The fact that they were handing out resistance stickers this weekend to anyone who supported them sends a clear message to those who have been in charge of the California GOP. We are tired of you running this party and effectively our state into the ground. Now, while the branding is a little odd because resistance is a phrase used against President Trump, I appreciate the sentiment. No more can the California GOP sit around at their fancy dinners and their galas and pontificate about how they're going to change California, and then, when it's over, they effectively do nothing. The grassroots will be heard. They will not be locked out. People are furious about how California is going right now, and the California GOP is doing nothing to stop it. By failing to be a party with any sort of legitimacy or power, the Democrats continue to take election after election. Even local offices that were Republican are now being flipped to Democrat. Every layer of government is becoming Democrat. It's time to start listening to the people on the ground. Stop worrying about the money and interests such as Charles Munger. You cannot retake California without popular support, and that starts by reaching out to the people. Will the California GOP need to revamp its platform? Yes. Can it afford to worry about just, quote, staying viable? Absolutely not. Staying viable has only pushed them farther into a fringe group. Now, even if you're not a Republican, this is important. The California GOP right now is the last viable party standing in the way of the Democrats in California. To lose that would effectively bring a complete totalitarian government to California. And if you are anywhere, right or far left, that should scare you enough to keep an eye on this weekend's California GOP convention. So with that, Jessica Patterson, I guess in no surprise to anyone, actually ended up winning the delegation. And Travis Allen and Steve Frank, who were not able to beat it back, uh... Well, they, were, they weren't unsuccessful in, in their resistance against Jessica Patterson. And again, this is just going back to the establishment and the consultant types and why California GOP continues to just keep falling flat on their face. Now, I know I usually start off with national news and go into the California news, but this is way more important right now that we have to talk about. A weak California GOP is bad for California. We need two parties to make it effectively a state that has to compromise on sane solutions. And right now with the Democrats having a supermajority basically everywhere you go, there's no way to enact good conservative or anything moderate in our state anymore. Now Jessica Patterson, yes, she's had some troubles and I'll be surprised if she comes out with anything else. 
But it's just an example of how these consultants and establishment types continue to rule the party and they're just not going to give it up. I think too many people just make money off the California GOP being a bunch of losers. I think maybe they play into the fact that we're a bunch of losers, so we're going to fight the fight. Please keep donating. And I'll tell you right now, the next time I get a call from the California Republican Party, I'm going to tell them, no, you elected Jessica Patterson, who is the swampiest of swamp creatures in California. She's well-connected to all the rhinos and the moderates. Let me give you an example. Jessica Patterson has been supported by Chad Myers. Now, who's Chad Myers, you may ask? Chad Myers is someone who is very involved in the, what is it called, New Way California. What is New Way California? Well, it's a moderate, kind of right-leaning, center of uh, center of the road political organization. If you go on their site, it says, Californians are tired of partisanship and government dysfunction. They expect elected leaders to address the state's pressing problems, just saying, quote, no to a blindly opposing or or blindly opposing any proposal for purely partisan reasons does not serve our constituents. The most durable solutions have bipartisan support. And we will work collaboratively to advance solutions on issues that are important to all Californians. New Way is committed to building trust and achieving bipartisan solutions. And they go on to say, Caring, we are here to prove our commitment to civil self-government that respects individual liberties and equal rights for all people. Race, religion, gender do not determine a person's ability or natural rights and should not affect the way we govern. Expand opportunity. Uh, Let's see, promote compromise. Compromise is not a dirty word. It is an art that allows both sides to achieve success. The rigid adherence to strong ideologies that have become a litmus test for both the left and the right only results in failures. Absent compromise, California remains permanently stuck with the status quo. New Way recognizes Californians deserve positive and constructive leadership. Engage in civil discourse, ba ba ba. All right. Now let's just get, take a look at who is on here. Oh, let's see the cast of characters. Oh, Schwarzenegger is on there. Uh, Kristen Olsen, Cassandra Walker Pye, Stu Spencer, Fabian Fergosa, Alexander Kim. Let's see. I believe I saw somewhere on here. Yep, here we go. There's a picture of John Kasich and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, And then here's more stuff bashing President Trump because, oh, geez, we can't have that. We can't have people liking President Trump in California. So basically, the New Way California is... uh, it's a moderate Democrat party because that's all it is. It's become a centrist, moderate... it's, It's a moderate maybe left-leaning party. And what they're going to be is a new kind of uh, democratic light party. Does that help California? I don't know. I don't know, but I, I know that when politicians take stands and they actually stand for something, they actually end up energizing voters and then voters end up uh, showing up to the polls because they're energized. Take President Trump, for example. Guy had very extreme positions, but it got people energized. It got people engaged. If you're a wishy-washy sort of politician, people just don't really care. So if you get these wishy-washy Republicans who pretend, oh, we're just going to be like, uh, we're going to be more like Democrats because that's that's how we're going to win back California, right? If we're just, uh, we're, we're more like a Democrat light, that'll be great. We'll be blue dog Democrats in California. Which doesn't change anything, because at the end of the day, you're still going to have to kowtow to your your constituency. And the fact that if you're going to run as a moderate Democrat, then you're going to have to still be a Democrat. And when the push comes to shove and the party wants to push you in a certain area, you're going to have to go with the party. I don't know how successful this new way California is going to be. I don't know what Jessica Patterson has to do. Uh, I don't know what they have to do with each other. I, I, we have not, we, it's only been, it hasn't even been 24 hours since Jessica Patterson's been elected to run the California GOP. And we don't know where she's going to go. Maybe she won't do anything, which is probably what's going to happen. She's probably not going to do much of anything. I'd be surprised if she does a lot of anything, but it's possible she really doesn't do anything. Now, in a Politico ad that was released before this weekend, talked about how the California Republican Party is basically staring into the abyss. And I would agree with it, which is why I opened up with the the out-of-the-gate monologue that 
it's basically a reckoning day for California GOP. They have a lot on the line. They're being squashed out. They're being increasingly more a fringe group in California. They can't get any traction. They have no grassroots. They have no plan to get any of the local offices back into back into Republican control or conservative control. Basically, they have nothing left. And they're going to continue to postulate and say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But I, I have yet to see action. And I've talked to people who are very involved in the California Republican Party, and they want to start doing things. And there's plenty of California Republicans who are fed up. They want to see people do stuff. They want to see people get engaged. But when you have leadership that just doesn't care and continually just sits there and pats itself on the back and says, well, good job, folks. We did a great job. And I wrote an email and you wrote an email and you appeared on Fox News and I appeared on Fox News. And that's fantastic. We really brought brought a lot of light to the problem here in California. That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't solve the fact that we're out here on our own. We're fighting our own war. That this is different than any other state where, where Democrats are just continually becoming more and more powerful and unstoppable. And we can't just sit around and let it happen, basically. We just can't let people, we just can't let the Democrats continue to beat us at the grassroots level. We have to start taking over the local offices. We have to start getting back into county offices because that's where the change starts. It starts And I know a lot of people say, well, it starts at the grassroots, but what does that mean? It means that you start with, you get a Republican onto the city council. You start with getting someone on the county supervisors. You get them into, you know, maybe they're not politically affiliated, but you get a more conservative sheriff in line. It starts at the grassroots level, because once the grassroots start to bubble up, then you can start to see or build a bench of people who are ready to go. But right now, they're trying to always look for who can go be governor, who can be governor, who can be governor. You need to start fighting it out in competitive districts all over California. You need to look district by district and say, okay, this district, I know they only this Democrat only got maybe 30% of the vote, but they won. But if you look at everyone else and say, okay, well, there's this many Republicans, there's this many independents, there might be this many libertarians or something like that, you have to start reaching out and figuring out what is the model that's going to make people win? What's what's the model that's going to get people to vote for an R over a D in California? And it's got to be stuff that's common sense. It's got to be kitchen table stuff, stuff that people are going to look at and say, I want lower gas prices. I want lower uh, housing costs. I want lower utilities, stuff like that. They don't want to care about whether or not they can get a straw at a restaurant or whether or not this person or that person can use this bathroom or the other one. People don't really care about that at the end of the day. They want to make sure that they know that they have a, a place to go to call home, that they can raise their kids, they can send them to a good school. Now, the other candidates, and I'm disappointing it because my personal favorite, Travis Allen, uh, poor guy lost again. He keeps getting snubbed by his own party. They didn't back him for governor. They backed John Cox. And then they went on and backed Jessica Patterson. So, poor guy's out. He has, no, he has nowhere to go at this point. I hope he finds some place to fight, but this was a, I, I want to play a clip for you of what his plan was if he were actually going to the win. The Republican Party in California has not done a good job of uh, fighting off these Democratic advances. The Democrats still have a supermajority in the state capitol. They control almost all of the seats up and down uh, up and down the state of California. You are running to be the chairman of the Republican Party in California in an effort, I hope, to try to fight some of these policies better. Tell me about this. Yeah, exactly right. And listen, it's not just a, a super majority of Democrats in the legislature. They had to make up a new word. It's now called a mega majority. That means they have 75% in both houses of our state legislature. And just two weeks ago, there was a Republican assemblyman, Brian Mainshine of San Diego, who flipped and became a Democrat. So it, it just gets worse and worse for Republicans in California. Seven congressmen out of 53 and no statewide officers. Every single statewide officer is a Democrat. So this really means that the Republican Party in California is at its weakest point in 100 years, since 1883. This is why I'm running to be the next chairman of the California Republican Party. It's about time we have a Republican Party that's rebuilt from the ground up, that stands for our values, our ideals, and supports our Republican president.
All right. So tell me what you're going to do if you take over if you, if you take over the strategy, essentially, of the Republican Party in California. How are you going to fight this? What are you going to do different than either your two opponents who both want to be the chairman or the chairwoman of the California Republican Party? What are you going to do different? Look, I believe the Republican Party should fight to win. We have not done voter registration in over a decade in the state of California. Meanwhile, our voter registration was at 37% in 1994. Today it stands at 24%. Step one is registering voters statewide. Step two, organizing every street and every precinct across the state of California. We have 5 million California Republicans, more than any other state in the nation. We must empower local street captains to be the brand ambassadors of the Republican Party in every street, every school, every church, every community across the state. And then lastly, we must take the Democrats to federal court. We have to prosecute the illegal election fraud that we're seeing across the state of California. We got to take this all the way to the Supreme Court to ensure that we have a free and fair election system. You know, think about this very quickly. Last year, the California DMV illegally registered 25,000 people to vote, including non-citizens. They just struck 1.5 million voters off the voter rolls in Los Angeles because they were dead, ineligible, or inactive. And it just gets worse from there. Democrat operatives on election day were bribing people with cigarettes to get their votes. But yet none of them have served jail time. There is no active court cases pending by the Republican Party. When I'm the next chairman of the California Republican Party, we will fight to win. We will clean up voting, organize the state, and start registering Republicans again. Now, obviously, he didn't win. Um, but I agree with all of the things he said, that you have to start at the grassroots. You have to start getting people out there. You have to register voters. You have to reach out to people. And you have to start bringing it from the ground up. That's how you have to fight them, because... As much power as Democrats have, they can't fight every single battle. They, they, in, the, in politics, as much as you may think that there's all this money and, and millions and, and sometimes billions of dollars are being spent on politics, there's only a finite amount of money that's, that's left. And it's, it's sort of like a bookie with sports. They kind of look at the, the board and say, OK, this district, uh, this district's going to be hard fought and our guy is in the lead. Um, we're able to flip it. So we got to divert some of our resources there. Uh, this looks like this guy who was used to be a solid uh, lock for this Democratic seat. Oh, now he's being challenged by a Republican. Oh, no, the Republican's in the lead. And OK, we're just going to give up on that race. That happens because they only have a finite amount of resources. And, and Travis Allen's absolutely right. You have to start fighting every single battle. You have to, have to start looking at every single seat from dog catcher all the way up to governor and say, where can we start winning seat and, and, and position after position. This is another thing that he touched upon was the whole thing with we have to start taking the Democrats to federal court. Judicial Watch got that huge win a couple months or like a month or so back about getting rid of 1.5 million people off of the L.A. County of voter rolls basically saying they were inactive and that is probably something that's being done all over the state and Republicans have to do a much better job of making the Democrats put their money where their mouth is. Right now, too many people just assume, well, the Democrats have control of everything, so why fight it out? Well, when you go into federal court, it's a little bit different than going into state court because federal courts are, well, they're, they're appointed judges and they're not elected judges by Californians. Nobody elects federal judges. Now, of course, it depends on who the president was who appointed these, but it comes down to the fact that they're not elected. So if you start fighting this stuff out in federal court, you have to make Democrats put their money where their mouth is. If they try and squeak this stuff by, and this happens constantly, is that Democrats and far leftists will kind of push the, the envelope farther and farther. And they'll be like, all right, is this the line? Or is this the line? Where's the line? And they kind of push it a little farther and they say, okay, no one, no one smacked us back yet. And then they push it a little farther and then they say, okay, no one smacked us back yet. And then they push it a little too far. And then all of a sudden people say, or, or a judge will come out and say, no, you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. And they'll back off and say, okay, we can't do that. But they always seem to be, they, if you give them an inch, they take a mile. But Travis Allen's right. We got to start fighting. Uh, we got to start fighting every single political race. We got to start looking for every single position, every district that is winnable, or at least that we can put up a good fight in. And that's going to require getting a lot of candidates, good candidates, too. Where do you find those candidates? I don't know. It's hard to, why would you want to tell someone, you want to give up, you know, a year of your life in a race that probably means nothing. You, you won't get paid crap. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, that's basically what you're going to do. It's tough. It's not easy to find a lot of those Republican candidates. But again, that starts with the grassroots. It starts with the outreach. It starts with getting into the younger generation, explain to them Republicanism or conservatism and and just the, the, the troubles of far extremism from the left. And how stuff like socialism is not going to work and how single payer is scary and how, you know, you have to kind of put it into these terms and, and start recruiting these younger generations. And it's tough. It's going to be a battle. But you got to start fighting every single battle that you can find tooth and nail. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is, I, I just, I, I don't want to give up on this state quite yet. And I, I know you don't want to give up on this state quite yet. I know you don't, you people like living in California, but they don't want to continue being completely crushed by the totalitarianism and the authoritarianism that is the extreme left going on in our state. You have this loony left who keeps pushing things farther and farther and farther left to the point where they, they, they stand up and say, these crazy policies. I mean, forget the straw stuff. It, it, it goes beyond the straw stuff. It goes beyond that. It goes on to stuff of making it, uh, making the laws so that if you're LGBT and you, you engage in sexual in- relations with someone who's underage, or they, they kind of word it so that it actually becomes like it's statutory rape, but it's not statutory rape. Those are the things that are getting people upset. And we have to highlight those things because... This state is getting nuttier and nuttier by the day. And we can't just sit by and say, well, it's California. We're just a bunch of kooky people out here. That's not how it's going to work. Because at a certain point, California is going to start collapsing under its its social and financial idiocy when it, it keeps engaging in this stuff. If it keeps continuing to think that they're going to run into this socialist state, that we're going to have single payer, that uh, we're going to start giving free money away to illegal aliens, that we're going to start giving away free legal access to illegal aliens. Your tax dollars, your tax dollars, while you're driving through potholes, I, I drive around San Diego, there are potholes and swear that they're going to swallow up my car. But we can't fix any of it because we're also worried about these big social programs. Uh, and we got to raise the gas tax because... Make sure you raise the gas tax so we can fix those roads. I haven't seen any roads being fixed at an alarming rate. Have you? Have you seen all of your roads being fixed? That was, wasn't that the promise of the gas tax? The gas tax was supposed to be to fix all of our infrastructure. We're coming, we're going to be coming up on a year with the gas tax. More than that, because we were trying to repeal the gas tax and now that, you know, that vote went down, but I haven't seen any changes. But as we continue to run farther and farther into the left, the state is going to start seeing some real issues. And it's incumbent on people like us, the people who are informed, the people who want to get engaged in this stuff, to make sure we, we, you do whatever you can, that you get out there and you spread the word, you don't be afraid about showing your political bias or what your political affiliation is, that you have to be proud in who you are. It's people like us who are sitting here going, you know what, I, I don't want to leave this state and I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to leave without a fight. So this, this is what it's going to have to be. And people just have to start standing up for themselves and figuring it out. But speaking of socialism, now we're going to get back into the national news because I know everyone likes to hear about the national news and what's going on because it's always very exciting. And just recently, uh, you know, I think last week I said, I wasn't sure if Bernie Sanders actually had entered the race. And then, of course, the next day I must have called it. Maybe his ears were burning. But he didn't, then he announced that he was running for president. In no grand spectacle of anything, he just announced that he was running. And again, we have the old grandfather of socialism coming in. Already in a, in a pretty crowded field with people who are already pretending to be more socialist. Um People who call themselves democratic socialists, like Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala Harris, who is trying to shy away from the socialist label because she's probably looking at the general election going, "Ah, it's probably not a good idea to run around calling yourself a socialist. So Bernie Sanders, and most recently there have been these new videotapes 
popping up all over with Bernie Sanders. Just if you think the guy was far left kooky, these videos. First, there was the video of him on his quote, I guess, honeymoon back in in Russia, singing "This land is your land," drinking vodka. Uh, and more videos have started to come out about Bernie Sanders. And if you didn't think he was a, a dyed-in-the-wool red commie before, then listening to these videos will definitely reassure you. So, And uh, this is one him praising uh, Castro and chiding, of all people, the New York Times for failing to cover it properly. But I remember... For some reason or other, being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. I was a kid and I remember reading that. And it was just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly rich people. And I remember, again, very distinctly, a very distinct feeling. I was watching the debates. You remember the famous Nixon-Kennedy debates? That was the first time <coughs> the presidential cam- candidates actually debated. And I was becoming increasingly interested in politics, didn't know much, but was interested. I remember sitting in the student lounge at our dormitory watching the debate. And at that time, well, we can talk about Cuba now. I was very excited and impressed by the, the Cuban Revolution. And there was Kennedy and Nixon talking about which particular method they should use about uh, destroying the revolution. And I remember the irony as we, we learned the history later on. Kennedy was saying that Nixon was too soft on communism. Let me pick up a point that Rick was making. In Cuba, we should deal firmly with Fidel Castro. And Nixon was playing the role of, hey, you got to be patient. You know, you can't do these things, you've got to negotiate. But of course, what he was upset about is that secretly they were planning the Bay of Pigs invasion right then. So he, he was the liberal and Kennedy was playing the conservative. And actually, you know, there are, when you read novels, people say there's a, a sick feeling in your stomach. Usually I'm sufficiently unemotional not to be sick, but I actually got up in the room and almost left to puke. Because for the first time in my adult life, what I was seeing is the Democrats and the Republicans, both of them, and of course, as Rick points out, Kennedy was the flashing young liberal. And what we were seeing right before our, my eyes, way, way back then, and I didn't know anything about politics, but clearly that there really wasn't a, a whole lot of, of difference between the two. And you read the New York Times and you understand why they are not talking about what's going on in Nicaragua. Okay. That's the important story. The important story is not Nicaragua. It's not the United States government toward attitude toward Nicaragua, which is no different than it's been in 50 years. The United States has the right to destroy any government in Latin America that they want, and that's been consistent for 50 or 100 years. There's nothing new about that. What is new is why, when you read the New York Times, the real truth is not being told and how that's obfuscated. So if you want to read what goes on, and I, I was doing that. I remember reading and beginning to read about the Cuban Revolution. And find, what I was more impressed about is how it was being reported in the United States press. And I began to understand that you don't always hear all of the truth. Uh, imagine that. Bernie Sanders is chiding the New York Times for saying that you don't get to hear all the truth because the New York Times was obviously obfuscating whatever his word was <laughs> that he used to describe what the New York Times was doing and not talking about Nicaragua because he believed that America could just go in and destroy any Latin American country that they want. Uh, so I guess he we know where his stance is probably then today on Venezuela and the fact that Venezuela is an absolute crap hole and falling apart and people are starving not only that, people, we've been trying to send aid to Venezuela, and only in a socialist dictator country like Venezuela would they be trying to stop free aid from coming in. Because God forbid, if, if aid from America comes in, then it's going to change the populace. And it, you can't lose that. You can't lose the control of the people. But getting back to what Bernie said, and this is an interesting point he made about he couldn't understand that you had JFK... And you had Richard Nixon. Now, now, Richard Nixon was, by all accounts, take out Watergate. People thought he was a, a brilliant president. He did a good job. And he was a good Republican. JFK, a lot of people said, if JFK was a Democrat today, he'd be a Republican. There's no, there's no doubt about it in my mind. The guy had one of the biggest tax breaks, individual tax breaks and tax cuts up to that point in America. And, and the 60s roared because of it. You wouldn't see a Democrat like JFK ever, maybe out of Montana or someplace like that, but he would definitely be a Republican today. Now, Bernie can't understand at this point that you had JFK and Richard Nixon talking about how to best go about taking care of Cuba. 
And he's astounded at the fact that you have two American presidents basically saying, how do we stop communism from coming to our shores 90 miles away from Miami? Isn't that incredible? He's baffled at the fact that two American presidents are trying to figure out how do we stop the Soviet Union and the influence of communism from knocking on our door? He said he was sick to his stomach. He had to leave the room because he couldn't fathom that. It's because they were two American presidents who didn't want communism to get anywhere close to America. And at that time, we're talking about Cuba. Down the road, there was the missile, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. We had the Soviet Union uh, breathing down our neck. We had to stop communism at all costs. He doesn't seem to understand that there were bigger things going on in, in the world and American interests were at the center of it. And we had to say, well, we're not going to let communism get to our shore. But that's how far the left has gone today, is that he can't fathom the idea of stopping communism. To him, the idea of stopping communism or talking about stopping communism in Cuba actually makes him physically sick. Which is incredible. And that's how the party continues to go. It's continuing to go farther and farther. If JFK were alive today and he saw what Democrats like Bernie Sanders were espousing, if he saw what Kamala Harris was espousing and Elizabeth Warren, and we'll get to them in a second, what they just came out and supported this week. And, and the new one, the queen of socialist ideology, AOC, if he saw what they were espousing, he would he would run from the room physically sick because he'd look at it and say, this is... Are these, these aren't the Democrats that were around when I was president. He'd be like Ronald Reagan. The Democratic Party didn't... I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. That's where JFK would be right now. And speaking of AOC, just a quick tidbit on AOC. I don't like to give her too much airtime because everybody loves to spend hours and hours as, as fodder to talk about her. This video I thought was just too funny. I have to play you a clip of it. Speaking of uh, Her Royal Highness, she's becoming more Her Royal Highness, AOC. Let's so people listen. are like, oh, it's unrealistic. Oh, it's vague. Oh, it doesn't address this little minute thing. And I'm like, you try. <laughs> you do it. Because you're not. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. That's How right. about that? I'm the you boss. You heard it here. Nope. And all these <laughs> laughing like so funny. She's talking about the audience that they're laughing this at. This is not AOC anymore. Did did you say the 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 are laughing? Yep. So the audience are a bunch of Yep. That's not what they thought to say. Catch me outside, how about that? Huh? Catch me outside, how about that? Catch you outside? <laughs> what does that mean? What I just said. Catch me outside, how about that? Uh, obviously, if you couldn't tell, that wasn't AOC all the way through. That was a clip comparing AOC to uh, the Cash Me Outside girl. <laughs> I love how AOC is now becoming more. Uh, she's trying to do her whole I'm still Jenny from the block whole thing. She's trying to lay on the, the, the New York accent real thick. Like, until you do it, you do it. OK, you stupid. OK, you do it. You know? Uh, but every day she gets this these illusions of grandeur that she's this big important person in, in in American politics. You are one representative out of four hundred plus representatives. Okay, your your royal highness. That's not how this works. It, just be you're not. And first off, you're not. You're definitely not in charge of anything. Uh. You didn't get on any of the committees that you wanted, and uh, you're not Speaker of the House. You're not anything at this point. And, and at what point, this is becoming the theme now with these far-left socialists, is that they don't start to see, they're not seeing this as, well, I'm here as a public servant to you, because that's how this government was supposed to be set up. It was supposed to be set up that people would go into government, they'd be citizen public servants, they would do their job, and then they'd get out and leave. They wouldn't make this a career thing where they, they become worth hundreds of millions of dollars after it's all said and done. And the way she talks down to people who, do, who don't agree with her, 
this whole well, I'm in charge and I'm the boss. Because you're stupid. And the whole idea, until you come up with better ideas, why don't you do it? Uh, yeah, people have been coming up with better ideas on how to fix things. Your ideas are just idiotic. And we're just calling them out on being idiotic. And so she's trying to play it up like, you go figure out how to figure this out. Well, first off, we don't even know. We, we don't even need to figure out what you're talking. 12 years? What scientists? Show us the study that says scientists say there's only 12 years for the planet yet let to live. Al Gore kept going on and on about how the polar caps are going to melt in 10 years. But yet we're getting record rain and snow and hail in parts of California and snow in Vegas that we haven't seen in decades. It's unpredictable. I guess if that's what she's talking about is the climate and all of this stuff and how people are supposed to figure out better solutions. People are trying to figure out better solutions. Your, your solution is just idiotic. That's the problem. So how about that? You catch me outside, your, your solutions are idiotic. And the way she talks down to people, I'm the boss, I'm in charge. You're not the boss, you're not in charge. I don't think she realizes when you work as a politician in the United States government, you are elected by the people. The people are your boss. Okay? You don't get to be elected, and this is not royalty. You don't get to look down on the plebs and say, I'm the boss, I'm in charge. You just have to do my bidding. I mean, this girl, she's only been in power or she's only been in office. I should say not in power because she doesn't really have power over anything. She's only been in office a little over two months at this point, barely two months. And she's, she is so annoying and so full of herself. It's unbelievable. But this is what we're getting. We're getting people like Bernie Sanders, who started to uh, espouse this crap in colleges. And then you get people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is why we're getting this. This is why this generation's turning out the way it is. You get red pinko commies like Bernie Sanders, who get physically ill at the thought of stopping communism during Cold War. And then they're going out and they're helping to teach people and young students in colleges. And then 30 to 40 years later, guess what happens? Now you get a bunch of kids out there who think socialism's the greatest thing since sliced bread and that everybody should be a socialist. There's a connection between these two. There's a reason why I played these two clips. Bernie Sanders being sick to his stomach over communism being stopped and AOC thinking that she's in charge and that her solution is the best solution. They're connected. These things didn't happen in a vacuum. And she looks at people like Bernie Sanders and says, well, Bernie Sanders said it's this, so I'm going to follow in his footsteps. But the president, obviously, in his State of the Union, said America's never going to be a socialist country, at least not on his watch, because let's not, let's not pretend that socialism isn't going to continually try to keep creeping forward in America and make more strides. Um but at least not on his watch. This is what he had to say in a speech in Miami. Basically, the whole speech was against socialism. Socialists profess a love of diversity, but they always insist on absolute conformity. We know that socialism is not about justice, It's not about equality. It's not about lifting up the poor. Socialism is about one thing only, power for the ruling class. Just like AOC saying, I'm the boss and I'm in charge. the more power they get, the more they crave. They want to run health care, run transportation and finance, run energy, education, run everything. They want the power to decide who wins and who loses, who's up and who's down, what's true and what's false, and even who lives and who dies.
In short, all of us here today know that there is nothing less democratic than socialism. Everywhere and anywhere it appears, socialism advances under the banner of progress, but in the end, it delivers only corruption, exploitation, and decay. With us today is David Smolansky. youngest mayors in Venezuelan history when the Maduro regime removed him from office and issued a warrant for his arrest. David fled into Venezuela's treacherous southern jungle. Eventually, David reached Brazil, where he was welcomed with open arms. Today, David lives in exile in the United States, where he continues to speak up for the Venezuelan people. Sadly, David is the third generation of his family to flee the agony of socialism and communism. David's grandparents fled the Soviet Union in 1927, and his father fled communist Cuba in 1970. As David said, the difference I want to have for my father and my grandfather is to go back to my country. My grandparents never went back to Kiev. My father has not been back to Havana. I hope I can soon return to Venezuela. I think that will happen, David. So obviously, President Trump hitting on some stuff that I just talked about. Stuff like, obviously, AOC running together with this theme. That once they get into power, they crave more power. A lot of this has nothing to do with a Green New Deal. It has nothing to do with the idea of, well, we want to give people a, a living wage or give people money unwilling to work. It's about control and it's about power. You see it going on here in California. The more you keep giving up to the government, the more you lose your own individual freedoms and you give your power over to other people. And those elected people then hand their duties off to unelected bureaucrats. And unelected bureaucrats in the government, they start to come up with the rules and regulations of how you have to live your life. Imagine if they passed, let's say in some miracle they passed the Green New Deal, right? The rules and regulations that would have to come out of the Green New Deal would be written by people who we did not elect. Think about that for a minute. You'd have this grandiose enormous, huge, pork-filled spending bill that would have all these great platitudes about saving the world and and getting rid of planes and everyone's riding the choo-choo trains. But the rules and regulations, and this is a quick civics lesson, the rules and regulations of what people actually have to follow, those are going to be written by unelected bureaucrats. People you have no idea, you have no idea what their faces are, right? So when it comes down to the nitty gritty of how the Green New Deal would work out, it actually has to go out to the administrative state and they're going to figure out what to do with it. So it becomes about power and you can start to see it with AOC. I guess she's not, (laughs) two months in, someone's going to, Bernie's going to have to sit her down and say it's a long, it's a long term game. Listen, AOC, it's a long term game, okay? You can't show them you want to be dictator right away. You have to kind of play it that you don't want to be a dictator and just give everybody free college. Right now, it's like AOC is coming out and she thinks she's the next Maduro, the next Chavez, the next uh, Castro. She thinks she's the next socialist savior of of a country. She's got to pump the brakes a little bit. Her, Her dictator mask is or her dictator is starting to come out a little too fast. But that's what it comes down to. It's about power. It's about control. The more they can push this farther left, the more you can abdicate more of your stuff to the government, more you can become dependent on the government for your income, for your health care, for your transportation, for the food you eat, for the air you drink or air you breathe, the water you drink, the less freedom you have. It's like single payer health care. President Trump says they're going to decide who lives and who dies. Now, I don't know if he's actually going to sit there and say who lives and who dies in America. But when you get to a single-payer health care, we, we saw this with that, that poor child in Britain 
This was a single payer healthcare. Poor kid was not allowed to leave Britain and go somewhere else to get the care that he needed. There were doctors saying, bring him to us. We'll work on him for free. Britain wouldn't let him leave. That's what happens in a single payer healthcare. The, the government who is actively involved in it figures out who lives and who dies. That's the sort of power that they're looking for. And they seem to, th- they mask it with all these freebies. Oh, we'll make sure everyone gets a, a living wage for those who are unwilling to work. We'll make sure that there's, there's enough work for everybody to go around. Now all student loan will be paid off and that you just have to hand over everything. It's a deal with the devil. It's an absolute deal with the devil. If you ever get a chance, there's an old cartoon. I don't know what it's from. It's like the 30s or 40s. Um, I think it's like a Warner Brothers kind of offshoot. Anyway, you can look it up. It's on YouTube. Something about old car. If you just type in old cartoon socialism, it'll come up. But it's the same. They always give you these platitudes of, well, we'll help the worker rise up against his employer. Oh, no, you belong to the state now. Mr. Employee, and the state says you don't get to strike because there are no unions. You know, the employer, on the other hand, who owns the business, the state says we need to take your factory or we need to take your business. You have no say because the state has control. Or the farmer, guess what? I'm not paying a fair price for your for your wheat or whatever you grow. It's because the state gets to take it and do whatever they want with it. It's for the good of the state. It's for the good of the people. That's what socialism's all about. So we have to be careful, especially as this becomes more mainstream. On one hand, sunlight disinfects everything, which is true. The more these ideas get exposed into the, into the public square, you, you start to see people say, uh, probably not a good idea. Of course, obviously, if you get a lot of college students who think that the Green New Deal is a fantastic idea and they, they can't wait to get out of college and, and sign up for the Green New Deal, then there's nothing you can do. I was bright-eyed and bushy-tail out of college, too. A lot of college kids are. When you're in the comfort of a nice college dorm room and you don't have to really worry about anything and your food's provided for you, yeah, if you could go out in the world and live like that and that's what socialism's promising, then sure. But a lot of these ideas, once they get pushed out into the sunlight, are are obviously ridiculed as idiotic, unfeasible. Just They just don't make any sense mathematically or, or accounting-wise. They don't make any sense. Fiscally, financially, they don't make any sense. But there's, there's a danger of the fact that they do get pushed out there and that people do step back and go, okay, maybe I like this idea. And it starts to spread a little bit. And it starts to spread a little bit more and people start to think it's a good idea. And that's how socialism really starts to take root. And we got to be careful about that. It's starting to take root here in California, that's for sure. I don't know what Gavin Newsom's going to do when it comes to single payer. I know he wants to go after that. But going back to disastrous leftist extreme policies... This is something I mentioned last week, but now I must have some sort of premonition of what's going to happen, what's coming up in the news. Because last week I said Bernie Sanders was probably going to run for president, or he had run for president. I couldn't remember correctly. Next day he says he's going to run for president. And then I mentioned how Kamala Harris, one of the scariest things she said in that interview about her smoking weed and being Jamaican, was actually that she supported reparations. And now you have this week, this past week, you had both Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris who were talking about reparations. Reparations for slavery. And I, I said last week, how do, you, how do you even go about figuring out how to, to, to dice that out or, or make that work? A small percentage of people alive today have ancestors who own slaves. Most people in this st- in this country that you keep saying immigrants are part of this country. Immigrants are yeah, immigrants do, are part of the country, and immigrants are the basis and foundation of this country. And guess what? A lot of these immigrants didn't own slaves. You can't say that we're a nation built on immigrants and then turn around and say, okay, all you white people, I don't care where you came from, we're paying reparations. 
It doesn't work like that. Me as an Italian, all my ancestors go back to Italy. They came here at the turn of the 20th century, long after slavery had already been abolished and the Civil War was over. How do you say to someone who's Scottish who just came over at the turn of the 20th century, well, guess what? You have to pay for reparations. I had nothing to do with it. And on the flip side, how many African-Americans can you look at and say, you have to go back and say, well, who was, who was actually a descendant of a slave? How many African-Americans actually were maybe descendants of free slaves? Or not free slaves, freed blacks back in that time. How do, you, how do you start to figure that out? I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's a, an unfathomable idea. But again, they're just throwing it out there. But speaking on Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris has had a uh, rough week, let's say. For someone who loves the media spotlight, she has seemed to figure out how she's going she's gonna to have to dodge the media for a week or two. This past week, she's been dodging every media question impossible. What I'm talking about is... Obviously, this Jussie Smollett. Now, I don't want to talk a lot about Jussie Smollett because everything's been talked to death about Jussie Smollett. But if you're one of those people who heard the story and thought immediately that there was something wrong with the story, that two guys in MAGA hats yelling, this is MAGA country, carrying a noose and bleach around at 2 a.m. in the morning in a polar vortex in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, that this was actually a true story, well... I applaud the people who saw through it right away and said something something smells a little fishy about this. Now, obviously, a lot of people jumped to conclusions and they said, you know, this is horrible. Uh, Kamala Harris said this was a, quote, modern day attempted lynching. Same thing with Cory Booker. You had people coming out saying we stand with Smollett and support of Smollett. Uh, but this past week, we found out that everything fell apart, that he paid uh, two Nigerian actors or, or extras who were his trainers, I think, uh, with check, no less. <laughs> I don't know who pays someone in check for a crime uh, to go about getting the supplies and go get ready to do this. And they actually acted it out and figured it out. And it was sort of like they had this all planned out, like it was going to be a little skit. Um, it all started to come unraveled. And then Jesse Smollett was arrested for filing a false report. Um, there's some other crime. Specifically, I mean, there's a number of crimes that he can be brought up on. One that I think federal crime that he has to be, he could be brought up on is uh, sending a terrorist threat through the mail because maybe he sent the terrorist threat to himself. Uh, but I just want to play a quick clip of Kamala Harris, who usually loves the reporters and the media is so nice to her. And she's always all about fawning all over the media or fawning in front of the media. This week, uh, not so much. Uh, the, about uh, saying that it is a modern-day lynching that, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Um, I, I, okay, so I will say this about that case. I think that the facts are still unfolding, and um, I'm very um, concerned about, obviously, Oh, you mean the facts are still unfolding? Oh, you mean you you shouldn't have rushed to judgment so fast when you didn't really know what was going on? Is that what you're saying? You're saying that maybe you should have said that at the beginning, maybe not just jumped out and said this is a modern day lynching and that the president is responsible for this. Maybe you shouldn't have incited all that racial hate and division in the country. Maybe, maybe you you shouldn't have just made this assumption that you should have just believed him. But this is everyone's jumping on this bandwagon to try and figure out how they could be more divisive, especially on the extreme left. They're trying to figure out how to be more divisive and use racial politics and identity politics as a, as a battering ram and as a hammer over your head. They don't, they don't want to know what the real facts are. If it fits the narrative, then they're going to run with it. They don't want to know what all the real facts are because it, it's better for them to run out and, and make assumptions and, and hope that the media covers it up if it doesn't go their way. Now, maybe they thought that this was going to go the way it was. 
They were ready to kill Nick Sandman over his MAGA hat and his smirk. I mean, the, the vitriol hate at Nick Sandman. They didn't wait for the facts to come out on that one either. They were ready to indict him and throw him in jail or, or mob and kill him over a smirk because they thought it was a hate crime what he did to, to Nathan Phillips. But maybe, maybe you all shouldn't have rushed to judgment so fast. And I, that, that clip is funny because just if you watch it, she looks over as if she's looking for help. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no lifelines in politics like this. There's no phone a friend, okay? Nobody's coming to help you right now, Kamala. Maybe an aide wrote it and she was like, okay, who the hell wrote this? But she was definitely caught flat-footed. But here's an interesting video I want to play for you. It's it's a mashup of uh, Jesse Smollett, his interview. Uh, I think it's Good Morning America or some ABC program. And then obviously the press conference with the Chicago PD. I just want you to hear the difference of the story before they figured out that he had orchestrated this and that he was guilty and the story afterwards. I think that what people need to hear is just the truth. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. You do such a disservice when you lie about things like this. Why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? I noticed the rope around my neck and I started screaming. How could someone look at the hatred and suffering associated with that symbol and see an opportunity to manipulate that symbol to further his own public profile? They called me there's no which way you cut it. Bogus police reports cause real harm. The fact that we have these fear mongrels. The accusations within this phony attack received national attention for weeks. If I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more. So I'm offended by what's happened and I'm also angry. Just remember that mine was reported right away. And look what has happened. This publicity stunt was a scar that Chicago didn't earn and certainly didn't deserve. So they get to go free and go about their life and possibly attack someone else? Smollett attempted to gain attention by sending a false letter that relied on racial, homophobic, and political language. Do you think there's a link between the letter and the attack? Um, and you did mention it to the police right away absolutely. about the letter. When that didn't work, Smollett paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud in the process. I will never be the man that this did not happen to. Mm. I am forever changed. And why? This stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? Um, I don't know but to put the national spotlight on Chicago for something that is both egregious and untrue is simply shameful. I still want to believe with everything that has happened that there's something called justice. Now, obviously, for all his crocodile tears, uh, it's very... This, this man, I think, Jesse Smollett, I've never watched Empire. I don't know what the show's about. I think it's about a recording label or something like that. It's obviously very sad what he's going through. Someone had said he's a psychopath. I think he's obviously dealing with some big issues. And the problem is, is that the, the far left has just gotten to the point where they'll use anybody they can to push their agenda. And they'll, they'll use them, and then they'll lose them. Nathan Phillips was in January. Jesse Smollett was February. We'll find out who it's going to be in March. But they're going to use these people because they're going to use this stuff to push their agenda farther and farther and farther. And it's sad what they're doing. They're, they, they, they yell at President Trump for dividing this country. But at the end of the day, they continually divide this country by playing identity politics and playing into the race factor. By always making it about MAGA people versus liberals. 
I remember that there was there was a senator who used to say there was no red states of America, there were no blue states of America. There's only the purple states of America because we're all mixed in together. Even though California is deep blue, I can still walk down the street and run into Republicans. There's still conservatives all over here. There's still libertarians. But it's sad that this is what it's become, is that they just continually use one scapegoat after another to kind of push their agenda. I don't know if they ever expected that this was going to fall apart in Jesse Smollett's, not in Jesse Smollett's favor. And now they're all retreating and trying to move on to something else. Obviously, I think we got the Mueller report supposedly coming out this week. That'll probably just cover it up and swipe it under the rug. The media's been very nice about, obviously, when something bad happens to the left, they just figure out a way to, to smooth it over and move on to the next thing. But this is what we, we've, the, this is the cycle we've, we've gotten into, and the extreme left continues to play at it. They continue to play your emotions. They continue to make people crazy. They continue to make every day a new extreme thing. And just when you think 2019 is couldn't be any crazier than the past couple of years, you get this stuff that pops up with Jesse Smollett and Nick Sandman. It's only two months in. We're, we're, we're just getting out of February, and this is already what's happening. And the primaries are just gearing up. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. If you're, if you're a fan of political theater and what's going to happen, it's going to be fun. But with that said, we covered a lot of ground today. We talked a lot about California GOP, what's going on over there. Uh, I tell you right now, I'm not excited about what's going on at the California GOP. Talked a lot about national politics. Primary season's just beginning. It's getting more and more exciting. It's going to be exciting to see who gets into the race. But thank you so much for listening. I want to hear what people think about the format and what they want to hear me talk about on this show. So let me know at California Underground at protonmail.com you can email me there californiaunderground at protonmail.com you can also check out the site californiaunderground.wordpress.com and obviously subscribe like spread the word I'm gonna try and get this out weekly and until then i'll see you on the next one thanks everybody Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 